0: Welcome to preheated Kitchen Wisdom and Friendly Chat from two friends who love to bake. I'm Andrea Ballard in Olympia, Washington. And I'm Stefan Cohn in London. Every week, we celebrate the successes, failures, learning, and laughs that go hand in hand with baking for those we love. This week, we're kicking off a month celebrating two of our listeners’ favorite pastimes: books and baking. We'll start off with a savory retreat from a celebrated school of witchcraft and wizardry that's sure to kick off your month with a bang. Then let's curl up with a cozy blanket, a good cup of tea, and grab our book club pick for the month from a celebrated Pacific Northwest chef. So let's grab some coffee and get ready for some sweet talk.
1: Andrea, here we are in April, and we have another wonderful listener-suggested theme month during our
0: Literary Bakes Month. I'm so excited. Me too. It is, as I mentioned, two of our listeners' favorite things, but obviously it is two of our favorite things. We both love to read and we love to bake. Absolutely. And we've had many, many listeners over the
1: years from the very beginning, really say, hey, what about cooking from a book or a classic or this new book? And we've talked about many of them in preheated book clubs over the years, and we thought it would be a great month to do it. It is in tandem with the International Day of the Book, which is a United Nations celebration coming up later this month in April, so thought it would be a great tie-in, nice opportunity to feature recipes from some classics, from some newer books that we've talked about that we haven't, and celebrate that way. Also do a preheated
0: book club and just have a lot of fun and tasty uh, good times this month. It's funny Steph, and I don't know if this happened for you, but... We always plan a couple of months in advance. And as soon as we decided we were going to do a month devoted to books and the food that's in books, I noticed how many of the books that I read featured food. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) All the time. I mean, those are my favorite kinds of books. Yeah, I mean, not surprisingly. (laughs) Um, And I did start thinking maybe that is part of the reason I like the particular genres that I read. I mean, Mm. I don't know. I'm not, for example, like a big sci-fi reader. So I'm guessing Mm. food is maybe not a big feature in those sci-fi novels. (laughs) Well, or it would be kind of, you know, very, very uh, esoteric, very
1: experimental food or something, you know, blue milk and all of this. (laughs) You wouldn't be like, where's my brownies in the outer space? I don't know. Good (laughs) point. good point (laughs) well we thought we would do another preheated book club this month because it is our literary bakes month and we're going to do one that was also shout out to listener christy she gave me this book for christmas and it is a memoir a food memoir called at the kitchen table the craft of cooking at home by greg atkinson Now, Andrea, you might be familiar with Greg Atkinson. He was the head chef at the very world-renowned Seattle restaurant, Canlis, for many years. And he now runs his own restaurant out on Bainbridge Island, which
0: is kind of outside of Seattle. Have you eaten at one or both of those places, Andrea? I have eaten at Canlis once. It was quite the experience. And I didn't realize he had the restaurant out on Bainbridge right now. So that might be kind of a fun little weekend getaway to do. Oh, yeah, you should. My most recent experience with Greg Atkinson was just us baking those Yukon Gold cinnamon rolls back in January. Absolutely. He has been a
1: working chef for many years, and he is a Pacific Northwest person. So I think this book is going to be not only just some great food memories, but he really digs into what makes a dish taste so good. Is it the person cooking it? Is it the ingredients that you're using? Is it where you're eating it or why you're eating it? And Andrea, it's my
0: favorite kind of book. It has recipes. I love that kind of book. It's my favorite to be able to read the story behind the recipe and then actually try and recreate that recipe for myself at home. Yeah. Yeah,
1: absolutely. So we hope that you will pick this up with us this month. And we are going to be talking about At the Kitchen Table on episode 121. So you've got a few weeks. I know from experience it's a very easy, it's a very charming read, and it does have lots of recipes. So maybe you'll even be
0: baking along with Greg and the book club pick this month too. And listeners, if you've never participated in a book club month with us, there's really nothing to do or to sign up for. All you need to do is grab the book, read it, and we will post in our Facebook group and talk about it on our episode, as Stefan mentioned, at which point we'd love for you to chime in with your thoughts and opinions as well. Yeah, absolutely. Well, since this is our Literary Bakes Month, I have to include a recent read. I read this on the plane home from London, and it was an absolutely delightful novel by an author I had read Before Uh That is Ruth Reichel. Oh, love her. Yeah, you had originally recommended her memoir, Garlic and Sapphires. Yes. Which is all about her stint as the New York Times food critic. Yes. I loved her writing. I didn't even realize she had written a fiction book until I think it was one of those things like, you know, you liked this book, so you might like that book. Right, right. Yeah, I thought, okay, I'll pick it up. And I really loved it. It reminded me a lot of that book called Kitchens of the Great Midwest. Mm-hmm. I remember it yes mm-hmm. we discussed that earlier because the main character has an amazing palette and she can distinguish flavors and taste and she is one of those super tasters oh. I definitely am not a super taster I mm. know that for sure how about you Stefan how would you classify yourself in terms of being able to pick up and identify sort of hidden flavors and undertones in a recipe
1: I think I'm all right but I wouldn't call it
0: a superpower
1: how do you how do you really know though I mean you taste is so sub and personal. How do I know if I'm super tasting or not?
0: I once wondered about this because my daughter asked me if I thought I was a super taster and I said no. I said no, I, do- yeah. I don't think I am. Yeah. And she said that she heard there's a test. Maybe some sort of strip you put on your tongue or something. So okay. I'll do a little research and see what I can find out about that because that would be kind of interesting to know. Although again, I'm quite confident I'm not one of those people. I think I'm getting better at identifying things and one thing yeah. that I learned when I was on my chocolate ecstasy tour when I was in London, (laughs) which was fabulous, by the way. One thing she suggested is that instead of chewing your food, you place it on your tongue and let it melt. Uh And of course, it takes a little while and it's a slower process. Yeah. And it's kind of weird because that's not how I think of eating. But you don't want to think of eating. You want to think of tasting. And by doing it that way, Mm -hmm. it really allows you to slow down and identify the flavors more readily. So I'm going to try doing that a little more often. Oh,
1: You know what I'm picturing is, have you ever had a hearing test? And you put the headphone on and then you raise your hand when you hear the tone. Oh, sure. And I'm picturing this as a test for the super taster, as in they give you the bite of something and they say, now raise your hand if you taste the tarragon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm getting a hint of clove. Yes, my hand is up. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I love it. Uh, I'll report back on that. Let's see if being a super taster is a real thing. Yeah. I did want to recommend this book. Have you read it by any chance? I haven't. No. Okay. Has she written other novels? I think this is her only novel. Of course, it's all about food, and okay. I think it's based on her real-life experience. Wasn't she the editor of Gourmet Magazine? She was, yes. yes. And so this book is about a character working at a revered food magazine publication that is suddenly shut down. Okay. And it's all about the people who work at the magazine and what they do with their lives. It's also a book that's, I think it's called an epistolary novel. Is that what it's called when it's letters going back and forth? Sure. Okay, another thing for me to look up. Anyway, it has a series of letters going back and forth. Oh, nice. Between a famous chef, and I won't say who it is because that's kind of part of the surprise of the novel. Okay. And and a regular person, and that, again, is part of the story and the big reveal in the end. So, again, Delicious by Ruth Rachel. I thought it was a delicious read. I highly recommend it. It was really fun. Awesome. I'll check it out.
1: Well, our first recipe to start us off on our Literary Bakes Month, where else to start? But of course, with a little Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, we found a delightful recipe for sausage rolls. Of course, that is a very English treat. You see them at tea time. You see them at snack time. You see them at parties. And a delightful blog from Kate Young. She does the Little Library Cafe blog. All month long, you could stop there for inspiration. She talks a lot about food from all kinds of different books. We thought this would be a great place to start. Now, Andrea, I know that you have made a sausage roll in the past.
0: I have. You're right. After I visited you a year ago and I got the Waitrose app on my phone. <laughs> Crucial. Your local grocery store in London. And I started getting some recipes. One day, one came across called Lamb and Harissa Sausage mm-hmm. Rolls. Yes, I'd not ever made a sausage roll before, and I certainly hadn't used lamb. And I had just bought some harissa, and I was wondering what to use it. Okay, So I did make that recipe. I thought it was absolutely fabulous. I love savory baked goods more than anything. So I was really excited. Yes, yes. I probably made them too big. I I don't know that I realized they were meant more sort of as a snack thing. So I made them almost like mm, calzone size and served them at a dinner. You know, and and they were great. I mean, everyone loved them. So I think that I'm excited to make these from the Little Library Cafe recipe and make them more sort of into snack appetizer size.
1: Well, I don't think you need to feel you have to do that. I think especially in recent years, sausage rolls have become bigger. Oh, OK. So if you want to make them big, go for it. Yeah, definitely. Okay. But you'll often see them passed on like a canapé tray
0: or, or something like that. Gotcha yeah okay sort of like my pigs in a blanket <laughs> yeah I know I know
1: <laughs> I mean that's, a, that's kind of essentially what you're making here sausage roll because you have sausage mints pork mints chicken mints of course in the states we would call that ground so ground sausage ground pork and ground chicken you have some brown onions that would be a yellow onion Some carrots, soft white breadcrumbs, and then some seasonings, including salt and pepper, Worcestershire sauce, hot mustard powder, some chopped parsley. Andrea, four sheets of ready-rolled puff pastry. Guess what I'll be pulling out of the freezer. Well, yeah, all my hard work. You're going to be benefiting (laughs) from. Thank you so much. (laughs) Yeah, we could not figure out how to get that frozen puff pastry that Andrea made here when we were at the Bread Ahead class in London. We couldn't figure out how to get it back on the airplane.
0: Yeah, and in fact, I'm really glad we didn't try because going through, I guess it's not called TSA in your airport, but whatever the version is of security, there was a lady in front of me that had, I would call it a balm or a cream in a jar, Uh and they absolutely would not let her take that through. And she kept saying, but it's not liquid. And they were saying, well, it could be melted down into liquid. And I thought, you know what? I would not want to argue with them about my puff pastries. (laughs) So I'm glad that you're going to shepherd that one into completion. And I'm actually really excited because, yeah, a lot of times when I take a cooking class, one thing that I think really cements the techniques and the ideas in my mind is to turn around and try and make whatever I made in the class, again, fairly quickly. So I'm actually going to go ahead and okay roll out my own puff pastry. I'm really excited about trying it again.
1: Yeah, and if, of course, you didn't want to make your own, you can buy that readily available in the grocery stores. Kate also gives the nice option, instead of just the classic puff, you can do a rough puff, which you guys heard me talk about last month in, um, or sorry, two months ago now in pie month when I did the steak and ale pie. So that's another option. It's a little bit less involved than a
0: traditional puff pastry. And I just love the name rough puff too. That sounds so much fun. (laughs) Me too. Me too. Well, why don't you read us a little bit from Kate's website about this section from Harry Potter because I think it's really fun to think about the inspiration of these sausage rolls and why they sounded so delightful to us.
1: Yes, she has a very poetic entry to this recipe. Kate says, I've always wanted to be at a Gryffindor house party, especially this one, when Harry and Ron have finally reconciled after long chapters of fights and awkward silences. It's a busy night. Fred and George are distributing biscuits that turn people to birds, everyone offers solutions for Harry's screeching egg, and Hermione takes steps toward liberating the house elves from the kitchens. Through all of this, the characters enjoy jugs of pumpkin juice, plates of cakes and tarts, and trays of sausage rolls. Mm. I imagine they are just the ticket if you've spent the afternoon stealing a screeching egg from a dragon. Ugh. Jugs of pumpkin juice. Doesn't that sound interesting? Well, you would probably put it in the picture knowing your
0: distaste <laughs> of a jug.
1: <laughs> I'm willing to do
0: a jug when it involves okay. drinking. Excellent. No, you know, it's reminding me of our trip to Borough Market when we had those – mugs full of Mm. warming hot winter warming drinks I don't even know what else to call them but I had like it was like a mulled cider and it had rhubarb in it and you had the one with the figs in it oh sounds so good yeah hot winter warmer just sounds great there we go I would like to offer that to someone at a party, maybe with my sausage roll. Would you like a sausage roll and a hot winter warmer? Oh, my gosh. That sounds so that good. Sounds well, so good. and we still, you know, it is, has really been quite the extended winter here in the yes. Pacific Northwest. So yeah, I think I can still do some sausage rolls and winter warming drinks and be just fine. So I'm really looking forward to making this.
1: And hopefully they aren't too complicated after you're mixing up your filling, you're you're basically rolling it into a log shape, encasing it in the puff pastry, doing some scoring and baking that. So hopefully that will be a delicious first entry into our Literary Bakes Month. Andrea, another thing I have to mention that really amused me. So at the end of her recipe and her blog post, she's got some tags, which is, of course, we do this on our website as well and on different places where our show appears so that if people are searching for something, that they'll come back to the show. And did you notice the tags? This is the most charming set of tags perhaps ever. I have to read them.
0: No, I didn't.
1: Okay, she's tagged it. Lunch, meat, 21st century fiction, children's books, Sausage rolls, Hogwarts, Harry Potter, Hermione, House Elves, Gryffindor, J.K. Rowling, England, pastry, family, and party.
0: I love it. <laughs> I mean, that's just the best combination of words ever. I know. <laughs> and you could
1: just imagine coming stumbling onto the sausage rolls from the kind of any way you could come into this. I just I love I love thinking about how it's funneling down people who are searching for <laughs> these different things.
0: As I did my search for house elves and sausage, this is here what it comes. <laughs> So I love that. Speaking of really fun websites, I wanted to give a shout out to some friends of mine who run another website that's associated with food and books, and that yeah. is the Ardent Biblio. Mm-hmm. This is Ricky and Michaela, and they put together what I would call literary dinner parties. I met these ladies when they came to the cookbook club that we have quarterly here in Olympia at Browser's Books, Yes, and they photographed the event for us, and they just do the most beautiful photography and putting things together, but of course, they also have tons of ideas about how you can take a particular book or a particular type of book or a theme and then build a dinner party around it. Oh my gosh that sounds so much fun. I know it just it sounds like the most fun project and everything they do is just gorgeous so make sure you check them out their website is theardentbiblio.com and of course I'll put a link to it in the show notes.
1: And remember, we'll have a link to the Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire sausage rolls from the Little Library Cafe, Kate Young's blog, up on our show notes for this episode, which is episode 118. That will be on preheatedpodcast.com. And we'll also have a link in our Facebook group, Preheated.
0: Stefan, do you recall my surprise and delight upon finding tinned caramel on my grocery store shelf back in episode 111 when we made that amazing next-level banoffee pie?
1: (laughs) How could I forget? And it was your regular grocery store, right? It wasn't a
0: specialty store? Yeah, I found it at just my good old local Safeway. Yep. I had been looking for canned caramel in my grocery store ever since listener Lauren recommended Nigella's No Churn Salted Caramel Bourbon Ice Cream mm. way back in July of 2018. Which I became obsessed with.
1: I must have made that recipe at least five or six times over the summer, and I'm already taking requests from certain family members with upcoming birthdays.
0: It was so good. I was making my own canned caramel using an instant pot recipe, but of course that does take some time. And it finally occurred to me that I should just ask my grocery store manager if they stocked tin caramel. And sure enough, he led me right over to the international section. Specifically, it was in the Hispanic area. And there it was.
1: Well, your little adventure inspired us to create this segment, Grocery Store Escapades, The idea is that our grocery stores have vast amounts of hidden treasures. If only we slowed down and took a proper look.
0: And this is going to be especially fun for me since I am very guilty of being on total autopilot when I'm in the grocery store. Mm. Sometimes I miss a regular item just because the store has moved it up or down one shelf. Aha!
1: Another unwitting victim of sneaky grocery store psychology. I'm sure you're aware that grocery stores do this deliberately. They will often move items so that customers are forced to slow down, look for things, and hopefully spend more money.
0: Well, it's working. (laughs) I generally find that the longer I'm in the grocery store, the more stuff I see, and the more stuff I see, the more I will buy. Yeah. So we decided
1: to challenge each other to visit a grocery store and deliberately slow down. Each of us had to find three new items that either we hadn't used or seen before.
0: Of course, I intended to do this in my regular grocery store here in Olympia, but some unexpected travel got in my way, so... I ended up taking the challenge in a familiar grocery store, which is a Whole Foods, but in an unfamiliar location, I did this when I visited you in London. (laughs) So how about you, Stefan? Where did you wind up doing your shopping? I
1: found my surprises at my local branch of Waitrose, as well as the Kitchenwares section of a local hardware store, and both of these stores I visit regularly.
0: I found the layout and the general feel of the Whole Foods London very familiar to me, Mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. of course the items were... Were sourced from locations closer to London. So many of the brands were ones I'd never seen before. Yeah. My first challenge item, however, is something I had not ever seen before, and that is date syrup. Are you familiar with this one, Stefan?
1: I feel like I should be, given my deep and abiding love of dates, but I have to say no.
0: Yeah. Of course, I baked with dates, and you may recall back in episode 116 when we discussed our natural and alternative sweeteners, I have made my own date paste, but I hadn't come across bottled date syrup before. So I did some research, and I learned that it's described as a thick, dark brown, and super sweet syrup, and it's commonly used for cooking in the Middle East to add flavor from everything from chicken dishes to desserts. Oh. So... I'm going to be trying some date syrup and summing it in for recipes that call for honey or maple syrup or molasses, and I will report back to you after I've used it. So I have to know, did you have a bottle? Did you buy one while you were here and hide it from me? No. You know, I didn't buy the bottle because I was too afraid about getting it home and having it break, and I couldn't imagine anything worse than opening my suitcase and having just this sticky (laughs) date syrup on everything I own, but... I'm quite confident that I can get it either here locally or order it online. Okay, got it. Yeah. How about you? What's your first challenge item?
1: So my first item is from Waitrose's baking aisle, and it's called fuelatine.
0: (laughs) Fuelatine.
1: Not familiar with that one at all. I may be slaughtering the name. It sounds like a fuel additive or something for (laughs) high-performance sports cars. But no, it's small caramel colored flakes that look a little bit like small cornflakes cereal. And it's in a container that you would find dried spices in, something like that. And it says crispy buttery golden flakes. Is this ringing any bells with you?
0: No, not at all. I mean, other than when you referenced cornflakes, that is what it sounds like to me, like sugared and toasted cornflakes. Right. So in smaller letters, it says chef's secret weapon. I mean, Ooh. <laughs> how exciting! Just what we need.
1: Where has this been all my life?
0: <laughs>
1: but I was still clueless, so I had to buy it. So it turns out theulatine are brittle, crispy flakes with caramelized praline flavors. They're used in professional patisserie for their delicious, sweet flavor and light, crispy texture. I have to say I wasn't blown away by their flavor. I found it a little bland, in fact. But I can see how they might give a nice finishing touch to a cupcake or another baked good when sprinkled on top. Weird, huh?
0: What's next for you? (laughs) Yeah... Well, my next item is something that actually solves a real problem for me, and that is the lack of fresh passion fruit in my area. Oh, so sad. I know. So I went ahead and purchased some passion fruit powder in that Whole Foods. Yum. Yum. I have seen freeze-dried fruit powders before, but never the passion fruit flavor. Yeah. And the label says I can substitute a certain amount of the powder for fresh passion fruit. So I think I will try this one later this year. Okay. Because, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think we have a recipe coming up with passion fruit and mango. We do indeed. Little teaser, folks, later this spring. Yeah. So I'll be hauling that out. I also bought some plum just because it looks so pretty, too. So I'm not sure what I'll use that in, but I'm excited about trying it.
1: Well, if you come upon something to use it, I have some black currant powder in my pantry that's just been sitting there kind of tempting me. So let me know. Okay, Mm, Good to know. What about you, Stefan? What's your second challenge item? My second item is also from Waitrose, but from another section of the store entirely, the dairy case. I'm not sure how I've never noticed this before, but Waitrose is selling, fresh from the farm, goat's butter. I love goat's cheese, so I'm going to give this one a try, but maybe on a cracker or a slice of bread before I put it in a baked good. It costs about 50p more than the same amount of cow's butter, and some people find it easier to digest than cow's butter, too. It also has a higher amount of potassium, iron, and vitamin A than cow's butter, so I may have found a whole new butter
0: to play around with. Oh, I have had goat's milk ghee before, and it is fabulous. Okay, yes. When I tried it, I just spread it on crackers and ate it straight from the jar. (laughs) Was it tangier like a goat's cheese? It was a little bit tangier, but I would say most of all, it was just like smooth and creamy, Mm. and oh, it was just so good. Oh, I can't wait to try it. Yeah, I've never baked with it. um, But I, I did just eat it straight on those crackers, and I can highly recommend it. Fantastic. Yeah, I may not get past the cracker stage. Yeah. (laughs) Well, my final challenge item was on the baking aisle, but it's not an ingredient. It's a tool, I would say. Mm -hmm. And I have to admit it, it did confuse me. So here in the US, I have seen silicone molds for baking, mainly for cupcakes and candies. Yeah, sure. But Whole Foods was selling a 40-pack of siliconized one-pound loaf tin liners, And the label says that they're washable and reusable. Mm -hmm. So I just can't figure out why you'd need a pack of 40. I mean, is it meant to just be a way to use a parchment in a baking tin and then you have the correct shape already so you don't have to cut it and fit it? I mean, it sounds like you stumbled into the industrial baking area.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Is it for folks who don't want to use disposable parchment but are making a ton of cakes at once? Professional bakers, again, I... I'll have to mosey down there and see. It's an awful lot if you're going to use them again.
0: Yeah, I I was confused by it. Next time you're at Whole Foods, maybe you can ask about that. It was in that section with like cupcake liners and the other things. So sure, sure. All right, (laughs) Stefan, how about you? What's your final challenge item? My final item
1: is from the hardware store near my son's school. This is an old-fashioned hardware store in the best sense of the word. Oh, love. They sell it all from flowers to light bulbs. They have a really interesting kitchenware section I just like to poke around in. Mm-hmm. I found a pan I have never seen before. <laughs> it's a little hard to describe, so I'll post a picture in the show sheets. But stay with me for the description. It looks to me like a jelly roll pan married a waffle iron. <laughs> So picture a jelly roll pan split into four segments, and each segment contains one side of a rectangular waffle iron with the bumps poking up. Do you think that's what this is? Is it a waffle maker for the oven?
0: Well, I know this is baffling to me, and fortunately you were kind enough to send me a picture. I did. I think your description of it as a waffle maker for the oven is my best guess too. I mean, maybe... I know, for example, I don't have a waffle iron, so maybe this is easier for people to actually bake it in the oven. hmm Mm -hmm. I don't know, maybe
1: some of our listeners will know what the heck this thing is. (laughs) I know. It's so fascinating. And that's what was so much fun about this little excursion, because we could have loaded our cart with 50
0: more things. I know. (laughs) Listeners, what are some surprises you've uncovered in your local grocery store? We'd love to hear about your discoveries. You can share it in our Facebook group, Preheated, or you can send us an email at host at preheatedpodcast.com.
1: Well, the timer's buzzed, and we've got to get the icing onto this episode. We release new shows every Monday, so join us next week when we review Harry Potter's sausage rolls and find out if Hogwarts magic worked in our kitchens. We'll also introduce Seed Cake, a classic literary bake that makes an appearance in more than one of our favorite books. Finally, we'll turn our magnifying lens on several recipes and discover the mysterious ingredients you might not expect to find in your baked goods. Thanks, as always, to Anne-Marie Russell for providing our theme music. You can find more of Anne-Marie on Amazon and iTunes and at annemarierussell.com. Remember, you can find us and our featured recipes on our website, preheatedpodcast.com, and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where we're at Preheated Pod. If you like our show, please tell a friend and subscribe, and consider ranking and reviewing on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you download our show. Until next time, I'm Stefan Cohn in London, and I'm Andrea Ballard in Olympia, Washington. Thanks for listening and sweet dreams. is written, hosted, and edited by Andrea Ballard and Stephen Cohn in association with 24th Floor Productions. Finally, we'll each take a jaunt down our grocery store aisles looking for new or nope, that's what we did today. What are we doing next week?